Chapter 6 of Stories of the Wars of the Jews by Charlotte Maria Tucker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Cliff Stone of Sydney, Australia. Chapter 6 Judea under the Yoke of Egypt. Jerusalem taken, the soothsayer and the archer, profanity of Ptolemy Philopater, persecution of the Jews, Judea wrested from Egypt. In the first division of Alexander's empire, Syria devolved to Laomedon and Egypt to Ptolemy Sota. Between them a war arose, and its result was that all the provinces of Laomedon submitted to Ptolemy. The Jews alone, faithful to the oath which they had taken to the defeated ruler, refused to bend to the conqueror. Ptolemy marched against Jerusalem, which being now strongly fortified, might have held out against him, but that the Jews, from a scrupulous regard to the sanctity of the Sabbath, would not at this period defend themselves on that holy day, 320 BC. Ptolemy did not treat the Jews with great severity, for though he sent a large number of them into Egypt, it was rather as colonists than bondsmen. The son and successor of this king was a great patron of learning, and spared no expense in procuring curious books for his infamous library in Alexandria. He caused the Hebrew scriptures to be rendered into Greek, and this important translation still exists under the name of the Septuagint, from the tradition that 70 persons were employed in completing it. Not only did Ptolemy avail himself of the services of the Jews as regarded literature, some of them were also enlisted in the army of the Egyptian ruler. An anecdote is related of one who had the courage openly to reprove the superstition of the idolatrous soldiery amongst whom he was serving. This man, whose name was Mosalem, was noted for his valour and famous for his singular skill in archery. As on one occasion he was travelling towards the Red Sea with his companions, a certain soothsayer who accompanied the band commanded an instant halt. Mosalem demanded his reason for the delay. Look ye, answered the foreteller of events, behold that bird before us. If that bird stands, ye are to stand. If he rises and flies on, go forward. If the bird takes his flight the contrary way, you must all return back again. The Jew, without speaking another word, fitted an arrow to the string, and let fly at the bird which the next moment fell fluttering in death to the ground. Furious indignation was instantly excited amongst the superstitious beholders against the author of so daring an act. But Mosalem opposed calm reason to the folly of those who put faith in omens. How could that poor creature, said he, pretend to foreshow us our fortune that knew nothing of its own? If this bird could have foretold good or evil to come, it would have kept out of this place for fear of being slain by the arrow of Mosalem the Jew. Onias, the first high priest at Jerusalem, having died 300 BC, was succeeded by Simon his son who from the holiness of his life and the righteousness of his actions was surnamed Simon the Just. This good man completed the canon of the scriptures, and the Old Testament, as it has been handed down to us, was in its perfect form received by the Jews. Simon died 291 BC, and Onias succeeded to the high priesthood. Egypt, to which, as has been seen, Judea was at this period subject, was ruled by a succession of sovereigns who all bore the title of Ptolemy. 
a remarkable instance of the reverence with which the monarchs to whom the Jews were tributary often regarded the religion which those Jews professed was shown by Ptolemy Eurogetes in the year 245 BC. On returning from a successful expedition, this king of a most idolatrous nation chose to take his way through Jerusalem and there render thanks to the God of Israel for the victories he had obtained over Syria. We thus see that the light of truth confided to the Jews shed a partial radiance over the nations by which they were surrounded. A young Jew named Joseph, nephew of the high priest Onias, rose high in the favour of Ptolemy Eurogetes. He was admitted to the office of receiver general in the provinces of Coelisiria, Phoenicia, Judea and Samaria, and, like his great countrymen of the same name, acquitted himself with such wisdom and prudence that he won and kept for many years the confidence of the king of Egypt. In 216 BC, Simon, second high priest of that name, succeeded his father Onias, who had been a weak and covetous old man, intent upon nothing so much as amassing treasure for himself. It was well that one of a nobler character had now entered upon so important an office, for a time of great difficulty was near, when the Jews would especially require courage and strong faith in their leader. Ptolemy Philopater mounted the throne of his father. This young man was stained with the darkest crimes. He was the murderer of his mother and his brother, and subsequently proved himself a barbarous persecutor. He, however, appeared disposed in the earlier part of his reign to render, as his father had done, honour to the great God of Israel. He visited Jerusalem, offered sacrifices to the Lord, and presented valuable gifts to the temple. Perhaps the conscience of this wicked prince was not altogether silent, and he thought by his oblations to appease that great being who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. But Ptolemy was not contented with viewing the outside of the beautiful temple raised to Jehovah. He was resolved to visit the sanctuary, to tread that holy of holies into which none but the high priest was permitted to enter, and that only on the Day of Atonement. This raised an outcry all through the city. Simon opposed the entrance of the profane king into the holy temple. He declared to him the law which forbade it. But Ptolemy was disposed to regard no law but that of his own capricious will. Disregarding the expostulations of the high priest and the distress and horror expressed in the countenances of the Levites, he pressed into the inner court and was about to enter the sanctuary when the wicked king was suddenly struck with such a terror and confusion of mind that he was utterly unable to proceed and he was carried half dead out of the place which an invisible power protected. Rage and hatred swelled in the heart of the disappointed monarch. He had been conquered by fear, and he now sought to cover his mortification by revenge upon the worshippers of the omnipotent Jehovah. On his return to his capital, Alexandria, Ptolemy at once degraded all the Jews who were living there in great numbers and commanded that each should be branded with the mark of an ivy leaf, the badge of Bacchus, the god of wine, whom this miserable idolater worshipped. All who refused to receive this disgraceful mark were ordered to be put to death. But such as sacrificed to the false gods were to enjoy equal privileges with the Macedonians, the original founders of the city. Of the many thousands of Jews who were in Alexandria, 
only 300 persons were found base enough to forsake their god to win the favour of the king. Enraged at the firmness of the majority, Ptolemy resolved to punish not only the Jews in Alexandria, but those who dwelt in any part of his dominions. He sent orders that all who were in Egypt should be sent to the capital in chains. There, it is said, that a great multitude of victims, being thus gathered together, the tyrant shut them up in the Hippodrome, a large place without the city used for horse races and games, and appointed a certain day in which they were all to be destroyed by elephants. Crowds assembled on this day to witness the horrible spectacle, but the king had sat up so late on the previous night at a drunken revel that he slept on that morning beyond the hour which had been fixed upon for the show. Nothing could be done in his absence. The massacre was deferred till the morrow, and again on the morrow a similar cause occasioned a similar delay. During all this time the Jews, shut up in the Hippodrome, ceased not by earnest humble prayer to implore that mercy from God which they could not hope for from the tyrant. On the third day the king took his seat to behold the fearful execution. Multitudes hastened with barbarous eagerness to the spot to see their unhappy fellow creatures torn limb from limb for no other crime than that of holding fast their holy faith. The huge elephants were brought forth, maddened with frankincense and wine, that they might with more rage execute the king's vengeance upon his innocent subjects. But no sooner were the fierce animals let loose than, neglecting their intended victims, they broke bounds and furiously rushed upon the crowds assembled to view the execution. The air was filled with loud shrieks and cries. The multitudes fled in dismay, but many were trampled underfoot. Many were destroyed by the savage elephants. Ptolemy, a witness of the terrible scene, dared no longer oppose his puny strength to the irresistible power of Israel's God. He dared no longer persecute the Jews, who were so manifestly protected by heaven. He revoked all his decrees against them and loaded them with favours and gifts. 216 BC The tyrant Philopater died 205 BC while yet in the prime of his manhood, and as his title devolved on a little child, Antiochus the Great, king of Syria, soon succeeded in wresting Judea and other provinces from the Egyptian crown. The Jews by no means regretted this change of masters. They willingly rendered up their strongholds to Antiochus, and on his advancing to Jerusalem, the priests and elders went forth in procession to meet him, and received him with gladness. They had little reason indeed to uphold the cause of their Egyptian tyrants. Contemporaneous Events Beginning of the First Punic War, 264 BC Second Punic War, 218 BC Battle of Cana, 216 BC End of chapter 6